Welcome to Books on Air, the podcast that you really don't want to miss. I'm Suzanne Harris, and you are about to get a sneak peek at what goes on behind the scenes with an author. You'll find out their secret recipe for creating their book. You might find out where they get their ideas, and you could even get the inside scoop on their next project. If you want to know more about them and their work, we'll tell you where to find them on social media. Okay, are you ready to meet today's author? Well, joining me is Roan Fetterbush, and she's here to talk about her latest book, Salome's Conversion. Roan has a Master's of Arts in Creative Writing from Eastern Michigan University. She's a copious writer. She's written 14 novels, 120 short stories, 150 poems. She's got one mystery that she's just finished, and she's just now starting another. Roan, welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you as a guest on Books on Air. Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to this. You know, I'm always curious about writers. There's usually some kind of backstory. There's a reason that a person starts writing. Either as a child, they were a reader, and they became sort of fascinated fascinated with the idea of writing, and so the reading sort of draws them into writing. Or there's a natural talent, and a professor or a teacher recognizes that talent and encourages the person. Or sometimes there's some kind of major, seminal, cataclysmic event that occurs in the person's life, and they feel almost compelled to write a book. I'm curious about how you first started writing. Well, I was 16 years old, and my oldest sister, who had had three miscarriages, just had a baby, and the baby only lived a day. And I went back to school, and you know, I was in high school, 16, and of course, Everyone was a teenager, you know, and happy and talking to each other. And I was grieving for this poor lost child. And it just struck me that somehow I had to make her life mean something. So I wrote a poem. And I felt like I had written her eulogy, you know, that she was lost, she only lived a day. But that I had something permanent that I had written for her. And I haven't stopped writing since. And I have a favorite quote from Isaiah. He says, Now go and write it before them in a fable and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come. That's Isaiah 30, verse 8. So he's telling you to write things down because it will outlast you. And that's always seduced me to keep writing. Um, well, I'm really. I've written a lot. I know. I'm impressed that you've written in so many different genres. Normally, an artist will sort of stick to one genre, but you are a poet as well as a fiction writer, and then this is a biblical-themed book that we're going to talk about. I'm really impressed with all of that. Well, the King James Bible seems to always been a part of my life, and um Salome, to me, was such a brave creature. She danced before Herod, and then her mother asked for the head of John the Baptist. And, of course, then she was disgraced, 
But, you know, she was only 14 years old. It's as if she had any um, control of what was happening to her. So I have a Roman guard rescue her. His name is Decius. And in all of Israel, she would have been disgraced. So he finds a home for her with Mary, the mother of Jesus, which would be the only refuge for her. And then Solomon, Decius is... Um, becomes a believer right after Nathaniel, one of the first converts. And then he and Solomon followed Jesus all through the three years, through all the scenes of the miracles. And Decius is a believer, but Solomon keeps doubting. She has a rational reason for all the miracles. For instance, um, the feeding of the multitude. All those people walked like for a day behind Jesus, and they knew they were going to be gone from their homes. So, of course, they brought food with them. There weren't any McDonald's on the corner. <laughs> so when he, when he said to sit down and eat, they brought out all their food, and, of course, there was too much food left over. So the, Solomon figured that miracle out. And the the first miracle about water to wine in my fiction rendition, um, there were two kinds of jars in Israel. One was made out of stone, and the other were clay pots. So I had them mixed. Uh-oh. Sorry about that. That's going to be a problem, isn't it? Anyway, they, they mix up the, uh, the bottles. So the servants think they're taking in bottles of water, but actually they're taking in bottles of wine. You based this on a couple of things. That You based it on the King James New Testament. But then I noticed as I read through some of your, the background information that you also included the words recent archaeological finds. Now, I know you did research around this, and your prose is so well written. Uh, the very first paragraph, when our, our listeners go to Amazon and read the excerpt, the very first paragraph just instantly pulled me into the story. It's a very chaotic scene that you've set up, and I can right away see all of the, the there are animals in the scene, puppies running around, you can hear the barking, all the, the different um, fabrics that you talk about. I can see Decius coming in. I can see him looking at all of this scene with Salome and with her her uh, uh, maid, and I can see all the different things that are happening. It's You're very, very good with your description. So this is not written, I, I want our, our listeners to understand that this is not written in Bible form. So when they read it, the words are like reading a novel. They're like reading a story, and the story just begins to unfold. How long did it take you to to do the research to get this story set up? I think about three months. And I did add some um, of the recent finds that um, Thomas the Doubter and and Gospels that they found that Mary had written, the mother of Jesus, right. and even Mary Magdalene. And they, I have them translated from 
the original documents. I found a book on it. They're quite interesting, um, and they're included in the book, what says about Jesus in those. And they're mostly just uh, ways to look at your spiritual life, especially Thomas the Doubter has a lot of insight into spiritual living. What drew you specifically to Salome's story? There are so many stories in the Bible. What drew you to her originally? Well, to dance, but then she also is mentioned at the crucifixion. She's standing next to Mary at the crucifixion. So that triggered the whole story to me that this young girl that danced for Herod had somehow followed Jesus all three years. Well, that's what that's what started this story. Of course, the name Salome and Mary were very common at the time. And I have Josephus' book on history that mentions Salome and Salome's mother and what was going on at the time and how many Marys were running around. So I have Mary Magdalene in my book is the prostitute sister of Lazarus. And after Jesus, you know, redeems her, she goes back and lives with Lazarus and is there at the resurrection of Lazarus. So it's kind of a complicated story. And actually, it's a problem for Christians because I take a lot of liberty, for instance, with adding in Thomas's books of his that were found, you know, in the with the Dead Sea Scrolls, and changing who Mary Magdalene was, having her a relative of Lazarus. So it, it, is, um, it is biblical fiction, but I wrote it mostly as a romance between this young girl and this uh, Roman. Um, but it, it fits into the story of the Roman gods that are at the crucifixion, and um, it, it was it was interesting to write. It sounds like it. And I'm so glad that you said that it's biblical fiction because that gives you license to do whatever you want to with the story because you've fictionalized something that we tend to look at as fact. But when you fictionalize something, that that's what it means. It means that you take it and you you change it to your point of view, like changing the relationships between Mary Magdalene mm-hmm. and Lazarus and making them connected. I think that's that's really interesting. How do you write? Do you sit down with a computer? Do you sit down with a pad and paper? Does the, the story come to you like a movie? Or do you outline what you're going to do? Roan, what's your writing process like? I usually get the whole idea in my head first, and then I outline it very carefully. And then I put everything that's going to happen in the outline. <clears throat> and then I start writing one scene at a time. And when I've written everything I can think of in the scene, I'll quit. And usually before I go to bed, I think of the next scene so that when I'm sleeping, my brain is kind of working on it. That's and a, I wake up with the whole scene in my head. You're a true writer. 
I know many fiction writers who follow the same process that you just described. I interviewed um, a couple of writers uh, that talked exactly about doing what you just said. They have the idea or there's a plot knot that they've got that they can't undo. Sue Grafton told me this. She said that before she goes to sleep, she says to herself, okay, I have my character, Kenzie Mahone, backed into this corner, and I don't know how to get her out. So while I sleep tonight, brain, would you please work on this? And she said the next morning she doesn't wake up and there's the answer for her. She said usually what happens is that she sort of goes about her day and that sometime during the day it's almost like that old the eight ball that you turn it over and the 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 statement or the question or the answer comes up she says it's almost like you turn over the eight ball just all of a sudden the idea or the answer will come into my head i think that's the mark of a true creative i hope so it works for me yeah it sounds like it any advice for would-be writers out there who may be thinking about, I could write a book myself? Oh, I, I really believe that we're all unique. And every writer or who considers themselves a writer should take it like a, a message from the universe that they, are, they owe it to the rest of us tell us what they're thinking. I think any writer who feels driven to write, no matter if they get published or what happens, they need to write it down um, in order to acknowledge the, the gift from the universe. So I have a, a poem, <clears throat> if I could read it. I just wrote it last night. It's only a few lines. It's called Learned Helplessness, a direction anticipated, movement required. More than that, a yearning, the carrot of success, waving in the future. Which day to start, if ever? Why not just sit unharmed by rejections, pains, peace without endeavor? I think that's how people procrastinate, that it's, it's hard to be rejected. <clears throat> and I guarantee you, um, if you're a writer, you're going to be rejected <clears throat> either by an agent or a publisher, something. So it, it's important for writers to realize that they have um, uh, an obligation to write down their thoughts so that other people can share them. I like that. I like that very much. Now, Let's share some of your thoughts. I think that you have a portion of your book that you would like to share I with do. the listeners. Let's do that now. It's important to me because I'm a believer, but my husband is not. And this is a way that um, I'm at peace about my husband. So let me read it to you. After the evening meal, Decius wandered through Mary Magdalene's house. Most of the chamber doors were left open because fireplaces at each end of the halls heated the rooms. Decius counted 13 rooms. He found Thomas standing in a whitewashed room 
with an elaborate wall sketch of blue chalk showing a temple of some kind reflected in a blue pond. Thomas, the daughter, explained the sketch. Magdalene said it came from the east, brought his 12-year-old son here to learn the ways of women. In India, they arranged the marriage of their children nearly at birth. The boy refused to touch any of the women, saying he was in love with his wife. The king left him here for a month, but the only thing the boy accomplished was a striking drawing. He said he or his son would build this palace for his wife, the Taj Mahal. I'd like to take the message of the Lord to his kingdom, where love is already so strong. In the next room, Decius found John and James Borginus, the sons of thunder, arguing loudly over who would lay claim to one heavily embroidered coat lined with sheepskin. They had strewn clothes out of the closet onto the bed and floor in their attempt to find warmer clothes. Decius heard Andrew, Peter's brother, speaking in Greek to Philip in the next room. Peter was standing in the doorway with his huge arms stretched up to the lintel. He looked as if he was ready to pull the house down. Judas Iscariot was sitting at a desk facing the doorway of another room. His head was in his hands with his elbows propped up on the desk, filled with stacks of gold coins. Matthew excused himself and walked past Decius into the room. Just give her coffers to the poor, Matthew said. And you, a tax collector, Jesus said. He recognized Decius that Roman was listening, too. What will the authorities think of these sin-begotten monies? Will good come from them? Decius answered as he thought the rabbi might. Stones cannot sin. The money will help many find food today. As he left to further investigate Magdalene's home, he wondered if he should have brought up the cache of money behind Peter's dining hall, which he had seen Judas bury. Somehow he couldn't bring himself to confront the man. If Matthew had not been in the room, Decius thought he might have questioned the money handler. He found the rest of the apostles, Bartholomew, Janus, Tadeus, Jude, and Simon, laying out pallets for the evening stay. Planning to speak with Solomon, he returned to the main floor. Now that Solomon had turned 15, Decius hoped Mary would find a way for them to be together, even if Solomon had yet to believe Jesus was sent to save them from their sins. Jesus stood looking into the fire. Decius rushed across the room to embrace Solomon as she came down the steps. Jesus turned towards him with a gentle smile on his face. Solomon boldly asked him, Rabbi, is it wrong for us to want to marry? Decius believes in you, but I still honor my father's beliefs. Jesus put his hand on Decius' shoulder, but looked into Solomon's soul as he answered, Whosoever shall give drink unto one of these, a cup of cold water only, in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, she shall in no wise lose her reward. Decius thought Solomon was going to jump into his arms, but instead she rushed up the staircase to tell Mary her glad news. Solomon burst into Magdalene's room. Jesus said, Decius and I can be married. Mary dropped a basket filled with Magdalene's reduced wardrobe. Nevertheless, Magdalene dried her tears. My brother Lazarus would be happy to host the wedding, Mary. Mary's laughter eased Solomon's soul back to its rejoicing track. In Jericho, then Solomon 
remembered her friend, Idy. Would I invite the parents of my friend who lived in Jericho? Solomon stifled a job, a sob. Idy died when Decius and I traveled to Nazareth. Mary and Magdalene were quick to embrace Solomon. Magdalene said, you can invite all of Jericho. Mary excused herself. Let me speak to my son, Decius. So that's important to me because it says that, <clears throat> you know, it says believers should not be yoked with unbelievers. But Jesus says that if someone is even a cup of water to a believer, that they are saved. So I feel like my Jewish husband is not in trouble. <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> I'm sure our listeners are wondering where they can find the book. So let's tell them. They can get it on Amazon. Now, if there's someone who has never used Amazon, let me just sort of give you an idea what to do. All you have to do in your browser at the very top on your computer is put in www.amazon.com and there it comes. It's right it comes up almost instantly. It's like your computer computer knows. There's a big search feature at the top of the page and if you'll type in the title of the book and it's Salome's Conversion and that's spelled S A L O M-E apostrophe S conversion, C-O-N-V-E-R-S-I-O-N by Roan, R-O-H-N, Federbush, F-E-D-E-R-B-U-S-H. Just type that in, click on it, and the book comes right up. And then up in the upper right-hand corner, as you look at the book on the page, there are two words in the just right there. It says, Look Inside. If you click on Look Inside, the book electronically opens. And there's really a, there's a table of contents that shows you how many chapters are in the book. And then there's an excerpt. And the excerpt is just terrific and you can read that excerpt and that will pull you right into the story now i know that the books are also available on your website roan so let's give the listeners your website address it's www.rohnfedebush.com all in small letters and no spaces, right? Correct. So if they go to the website, what all will they find? They'll find um, a list of my books, and you can click on any of the books to buy them. And my short stories, you can click on the books and read them right on the website. And there's a list of awards, and some of my poetry is in the blog. So you also have a blog as well, and it's on the website. I do. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and the poetry, the uh, poem I just read you is in the blog today. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Now, you're also doing some of the social media. I believe they can find you on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Is that right? That's right. Mm-hmm. What do they have to do? And just type in my name in Google 
and all those sites will come up. You can click on them after you go to Google and across, type in my name, everything comes up. And it's an unusual name, so there won't be two, right? Right. It is an unusual name. <laughs> I always think that it's important for an author who's written a work to be able to have the last word about that work. So when our listeners go from being a listener to buying the book and become readers, and they read the book and they read the story, and they finish, and for the last time they either electronically turn off their whatever their machine is, their instrument is, or they physically close that cover for the last time, is there a message, is there something deeper that you want them to take away from the book? Actually, there is. I don't want people to be afraid of their own doubts because doubt is a great motivator for curiosity. And curiosity will lead to investigation and experimentation, and that will make people brave enough to accept the gift of faith. It allows my faith. And I search every day for the Lord's will in my life. So don't be afraid of doubt. Don't shove it down. You know, study what you're doubting and go on from there. I think that's such a really appropriate message, especially for right now when so many people are coming through what's been a uh, horrendous experience for all of us. They may be looking to try to find themselves and to find their direction. I think that's great advice. I want to thank you so much for being our guest today on Books on Air. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you for doing this for me. Remember, you can find Roan's book, Salome's Conversion by Roan, R-O-H-N, Federbush, F-E-D-E-R-B-U-S-H on Amazon. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast, brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on iTunes as well as iHeartRadio. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I so hope you'll join me for our next Books on Air podcast, because remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so very much for listening.